uh, 2 Peter 1, and we're looking at the first 11 verses. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours, Jews and Gentiles alike. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. And now he builds up this um, edifice of seven virtues. Think of them as, uh, as I read together. Adding to your faith goodness, to goodness knowledge, to knowledge self-control, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, godliness brotherly kindness, brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is short-sighted and blind and has forgotten that he's been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So begins Peter's first uh, second lesson and the opening chapter. Uh, we're going to pursue this in our home groups for the next uh, um, nine weeks or so. Um, and uh, hopefully we can tease out some practical applications for us. Well, this is his second letter. Wouldn't one suffice, you may ask? Have you ever noticed how uh, sequels are, there are exceptions, sequels are rarely as good as their originals. I am told with good authority by some children that Shrek 2 and 3 are not as good as Shrek 1, for instance. Uh, or how many Titanics are we going to have? Uh, or Rambo 3, or Rocky three, that may give an indication of the sort of things that I might be tempted to watch. But there are exceptions. There are exceptions. Uh, you can have, uh, for instance, um, not just in movies, but in, in books, toys, Toy Story 2, 3. If it's commercially viable, it will be produced. But um, talking to... Martin here, senior engineer at uh, Jaguar. They're going to reproduce the E-type, is it? Or F-type. There you go. That iconic car of a past era is going to be 
brought back into, um, into use to be a little beyond most of us to purchase. How much, Martin? You can't, you can't, you're not, you don't know. But you see what I'm saying, sequels can work well, oftentimes they don't. So here is Peter, and he says, I've written to you once, I'm writing to you again. Is he saying the same thing? I don't think so. He is emphasizing the essentials, but he's doing it in a different way. So um, here we are. And uh, I would just like to read um, the introduction in the commentary, which is so helpful. Uh, it says this, knowing and growing, and it begins like this. If anybody in the early church knew the importance of being alert or steadfast or standing firm, as Peter mentions here twice, then surely it was the apostle Peter. He had a tendency in his early years to feel overconfident, when danger, overconfident when danger was near, and overlooked the warnings of his Lord. He rushed ahead when he should have waited. He slept when he should have prayed. He talked when he should have listened. He was courageous, but careless. And in a strange way, he seems to have the credentials to say, now, like me, you need to grow in your Christian life. So, the theme is fruitful and useful, and uh, coming to uh, this second chapter, but first of all, just to say just one thing, uh, in his first letter, Peter conveys the Christian life as it starts with grace, starts with grace, it's, it's, it's all about the grace of God working in our lives, and that's how Peter ends his letter. But then he steps up a gear and he comes now in this second letter and says the Christian life has to be sustained by growth. What has happened in your life since you've come to faith? Well, that's a very personal question and maybe you're not the best judge of that. That on the one hand might depress you. On the other hand, when somebody looks at your life, they might encourage you. You're not the best judge of it, but it, it's it's worthy of asking because that's what Peter is going to pursue. The Christian life starts with grace, but it is sustained by growth. We are called to grow. And so in verse 5, with this very reason, don't go into passive mode. And if you sometimes ask, what is the Lord doing? The Lord says, and what are you doing? Because a great deal of prayer is... When the Lord answers our prayer, okay, I will if you will. I will if you will. And a great deal of Christian growth can be stunted by the fact that we are far too passive. The great danger of a church like ours, and this has come to my attention increasingly, interestingly and unexpectedly, through this whole pledging covenant period, is this complacency. I mean, we're full. Why, why worry? Why, why upset yourself? But if our giving is going to be for the next generation and we're thinking about the future, what we're doing now won't be suffice for there. Sustained by growth. So, just very quickly, look at these two headlines. Uh, the first, it starts with grace. And you see what he says here, that this faith is as precious as ours. 
It is precious. If some people say to you sometimes, and it's well meant, um, I wish I had your faith, like as if somehow you've arrived at some sort of plane that is superior to them. Say to them, this is God's gift to you as to me. Ask him. Ask him yourself. I know what they'll tell you. They'll say, well, you know, if I became a Christian, I won't keep it up. And tell them, no, you won't. You're halfway there. You will never keep it up. Never, ever. I haven't kept it up. But as I grow in grace, so he helps me. That's the point. Starts with grace. So what is this? Look, what, what is Peter saying in, in these two verses? His faith in a person. Over a period of time, there's a subtle thing that can happen among evangelical Christians in particular. It becomes faith in the doctrine. Faith in the experience. Faith to be correct because others are not. It is faith in Jesus. It's in a person. And with all of our imperfections and the imperfections of other people and churches, it's faith in a person. And it's about Jesus. Secondly, this faith comes with power. That's what he says. Look at verse 3. His divine power is given us everything we need for life and godliness. It isn't just, there you are, you've made a commitment, you're on your own. It comes with certain things, with power. And then this faith comes with a promise. We can make promises, but my, how easy it is that we can break them. They well intended, they said with sincerity. But somehow, all the pressures that are on our lives are hard to sustain but his promise is good it's good look at verse 4 through these he has given you and isn't it interesting he puts this little adjective in it's, it's a precious promise it's a precious promise it will not wither on the vine of good intentions so it starts with grace it's faith in a person it has power and it comes with a promise. Peter liked to use this word precious. If you turn back just two pages to 1 Peter and see how he pursues this theme. 1 Peter 1 and look at verse 18. And he reminds them how they came to faith. Look, for you know, this is 1 Peter 1 verse 18, you know that... It was not with perishable things like silver and gold that you were redeemed. As if you can negotiate with God, I'll give you so much and then, you know, you'll wipe the slate clean. It doesn't work like that. Not with silver and gold you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your, for, from your forefathers, a religion that couldn't save. Look, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish. What sort of blood? Precious blood. What sort of faith? Precious faith. What sort of a saviour? Precious saviour. And the, the, the whole thing begins to open up to us like that. So easy, isn't it, that we can be caught up in a cause, a good cause, a church cause. It's in a person and it comes with power and it comes with a promise that he will never break. Do you see that? 
How often we say and live, even unconsciously, like this. We value what we do, and we do what we value. Ask yourself. Let's all ask ourselves inwardly. What do we value most? What do we value most? And how much in our, this evaluation personally, would, how high up would it be that Jesus is precious, that our faith is precious, when we pass through these dark valleys or when our loved one is no longer with us? Well, that's the point, isn't it? So it starts with grace, but now, secondly, very quickly, it is sustained by growth. So these next verses 5 to 11 come, come to us just like this. They're sustained by growth. Where there's life, there's growth. But you know, spiritual growth is not automatic. It's not automatic. And it requires at least three things. Think about it yourself. Here you are today. We're talking about spiritual growth. The first thing that it requires is this. It requires application. Look at verse 5. You can't have it more. You can't have more application than that, can you? For this very reason, you make every effort. There are things that are down to you. Not to have your faith, but to add to your faith. The faith is a gift, sure. But now you add to that. And, of course, he comes up with some of this, this lovely framework, which we'll look at in a moment. So it requires application. Look, work at it. This is the thing we are saying with the children, isn't it? If you don't use it, you lose it. Work at it. Work at it. You can't work for it. It's free. But you can work at it. Add to your faith. Secondly, it not only calls for application, uh, but, but participation. <laughs> the experts are always on the sidelines. But when you're involved in the game, in the drama, it's rather different. Participation. In other words, I guarantee you this, if you get involved in any part of church life, it will be a different perspective than when you're just looking on as a spectator. So it calls for application. It calls for participation. Work at it. Get involved. And it calls for cooperation. What, what, a, what an interesting group the church makes. I was having a conversation with Paddy recently, but some challenges that he's facing in Cornerstone, and I just said to him with a wry smile, don't you love church? Well, you know what I mean. Maybe that was about him and me as much as anybody else. Cooperation. You have to work with people who are different to you. And that's the thing about fellowship. And sometimes in, there are periods in fellowship, I can tell you, where you are giving much more than you're receiving. There will be times in your life when it's all give. And it's hard work. And it's easy to give up. There are other times, I can tell you from my experience, it's all receiving because there are times and seasons. And how many of us know what's coming our way? Well, that's the point. So before we explore these 
seven virtues and qualities that are highlighted here, just ask this question from verse 5, which we've already alluded to. And now you answer it yourself, as I, I will as well. Are you making every effort in your faith? Making every effort in your faith. It's easy to blame other people. It's easy to blame the church. The church is no better or worse than you or anybody else. And so Peter is saying, we've got work to do. I've said certain things, but now I want to say this. I want to step up a gear. Look, for this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith. What? Well, he's, he couldn't be more specific, could he? And so we have these um, seven virtues which come before us. Now, I don't want to take time to, to highlight all of them, just to make a brief observation and see which one resonates with you at this particular time. Goodness. Actually, some people call it moral excellence. We're often failures in that area. Jesus went about doing good. He was salt and light in his community. He didn't always live in church. Most of his trouble came in the synagogue. Doing good. So that when you're not around, you will be missed for your goodness. And Peter is encouraging us to strengthen our faith with the courage to stand firm in the truth. And what's the application of that? Well, it is surely this. To be unswayed by majority opinion. We're conscious of our children and often say, yes, that's peer pressure. We're often not conscious of ourselves. To be unswayed by the majority opinion. Knowledge. This is a tricky one. Many Christians are sort of like clever clogs. They like to win arguments. They've built up a whole repertoire of knowledge. They could spot a heresy a mile off. But what is this knowledge? It actually means practical application. Practical application. One of Peter's favorite words here, knowledge, knowing, is used 13 times in this very small letter. And what's he saying? I want you to become much more clever so that you can stand against Caesar and win the arguments. How absurd is that? It refers to a common sense approach of applying the Bible principles in our daily circumstance. Now, for some of you, it might be an anticlimax. You could launch into into theology and doctrine. There's a place for that, of course, but not here. You add to your faith this kind of knowing, which is relational. And then self-control. Literally, it means the ability to take a grip on yourself. Take a grip on yourself. What are those things that master our lives? It's different things for different people, for sure. Is it work? Are our lives so dominated with work? Sex or food 
that we're out of control. We may, we may see other people and say, look, what a terrible lifestyle. And yet we're out of control in another area and have a blind spot for it. Things that dominate our lives. Perseverance. Uh, one of the early church fathers, Chris Austin, called this the queen of virtues. The ability to keep on going on. Perseverance. You see, it's, patience is too passive a word. Just being patient. Sit quietly, don't say anything. Inwardly seething. No, this, this is much more positive. Perseverance. Keep going. Keep going. Godliness. The right attitude towards God so that we can have the right attitude to others. You can't separate them ultimately, can you? And I know that this is a, not the most inclusive term, brotherly kindness. It's, it's filial kindness, family kindness. We are to come out of our ivory theological towers and get involved in helping others, listening to their opinions, feeling their pains, suggesting alternatives. That's what we're talking about. Willing to see life through their eyes. How different our perspective would be. And of course it ends with maybe this is the queen of all virtues. The greatest of these. Christian love. The top of the rung as far as Peter is concerned. He's kept the best till the last. Oh, what a list. Oh, lots of can be said about that. But let me try to use two illustrations. You see, it is all about, this is what you're to add, you're to embellish, you're to clothe, you're to complete, you're to make your faith strong and robust. We're in a drought area. I was talking to a gardener this week, and he said, but at night, nobody knows That's very naughty. Gardeners can be very naughty. The reason I'm saying that is this, that when I saw the, uh, two weeks ago these dark clouds hovering, I did something so that I have now two large water butts full to overflowing. I cleaned the gutters. It's a very simple thing to do. But they were full of moss and leaves. And if I hadn't done that, the gutters would have overflowed and I'd have lost it. Water is precious. We'll soon be knowing much more about that. So that the water could flow into the downpipe, into the water butts. I had to do something. I had to harness that power. It's a gift. But I had to do something with it. And you have to do something with the gift of life. You need to harness it. Otherwise it could dissipate. Secondly, I think this is going to be a good year for gardeners. Uh, I have three varieties of raspberry canes. And I will bequeath that to whoever 
comes to live in the months after our time. Um, here's the interesting thing. There's one variety that still has the debris of last year. Some fruit that has withered and died and leaves that through the harshest of winter and the cold and the drought and the snow have held on. The deadness that have held on to these canes. But here's the point. As the sap begins to come up a stem and begin to impact this deadness, something miraculous happens that the past gives way to the present and death gives way to life and fruit. It's a miracle of nature. I had to cut off the dead stakes last autumn to harness the life. There were things that I had to do. And there are things in our lives that we would do well just to get rid of them. Get rid of them. So that you and I become, as the heading of this sermon, pure and simple is this, I become fruitful and useful. There are things that you can do uniquely that will make your faith robust, strong and effective and knowledge and goodness and self-control and perseverance and godliness and brotherly kindness and love. And this list, as I close, is not uh, driven by do's and don'ts. It's not like that. It's not do's and don'ts. It's not driven by the guilt of failure as you become aware of dead things in your life that you take with the spiritual secretaries and get rid of them to allow the, the life of the Spirit to flow through you. It's not guilt and failure. It's grace and it's growth. And so Peter concludes this part by saying, therefore, it's a good question, isn't it? What is it there for? My brothers and sisters, verse 10, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if God does these things, no, no, if, there it is, if you do these things, you do them, you do them, you will never fall. Morally, spiritually, or in any other way. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Fruitful and useful. That's our calling. And Peter has a lot more to say to us. We're going to sing our hymn now. And